Hey there, I'm Sarah K. Hoffman, a holistic health coach and chief gutsy of a gutsygirl.com. I went from bloated, gassy, and infertile to living my best life with a strong microbiome and a very full house. On this show, no topic is too stinky to discuss and everything can be broken down into practical, digestible takeaways. So grab a cup of bone broth, veggie broth, or a soothing golden latte if you prefer, and come along as I show you how the number two might just be your new number one. Hello, thank you for joining me for episode 72 of the A Gutsy Girl podcast. I am Sarah K. Hoffman, aka A Gutsy Girl, your host for this show. In case this is your first time hanging out on the show with me, welcome. I am the founder and chief gutsy of both agutsygirl.com and guthealingsupplements.com. I started going back to review a ton of information regarding leaky gut. In case you're new here, I wrote the leaky gut meal plan back in 2019. So now I'm taking the time to record a whole series on it for the Agutsy Girl YouTube channel. Anyways, one of the things I was caught up on this week is the fact that leaky gut affects the entire body in many different ways. One of these ways is through infections. In the leaky gut meal plan, I state, the most common causes of GI infections are candida overgrowth, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, other known as SIBO, and intestinal parasites. There are also other less common causes such as the Epstein-Barr virus, EBV, and Lyme disease. And this leads me to today's conversation, SIBO another conversation around SIBO. Listen, I know that it is likely that if you are listening today, your gut too is leaky, aka more permeable than it is meant to be. And if this is the case, then you too might be battling with a gut infection like SIBO. In fact, I cannot count the number of people in the gutsy community who have SIBO and leaky gut or SIBO and Crohn's disease or SIBO and Hashimoto's, etc. So I wanted to provide yet another angle to the SIBO conversation. Back in 2021, I wrote about this emerging virtual way to GI healthcare called OSHI. What they are doing in the gut healing space to work with people virtually is truly incredible. And so today I wanted to bring on one of their RDs to chat all things SIBO, the FODMAP diet plan, recipes, and an integrated approach to gut health care. Here is more on today's guest. Caitlin Wojcichowski, MS, RD, LDN, is a registered dietitian with 10 years of experience in the field of dietetics. Caitlin joined Oshi Health to be able to make a bigger impact on those struggling with GI illnesses. Caitlin is passionate about the whole person. Integrated Care Oshi Health provides and is committed to empowering members with the tools needed to navigate their diets with confidence. In addition to care delivery, Caitlin's focus areas at Oshi Health include building a robust nutrition program based on evidence-based practices, developing resources to support members in achieving their nutrition care goals, and supporting in team operations. Caitlin earned her bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics from Rutgers University and completed both her dietetic internship and master's degree in nutrition 
at St. Elizabeth University. Prior to joining the team at Oshi Health, Caitlin worked in an outpatient setting, providing medical nutrition therapy to patients with a variety of health concerns. Please welcome the lovely Caitlin to the show. Welcome to the A Gutsy Girl podcast, Caitlin. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to have you as well, and I'm just really looking forward to it. So just to get started, if you want to share with the audience a little bit more about yourself, who you are, and what you do, and then if you just want to share a little bit about why you chose gut health as your main area of focus in your practice. Sure, I would be happy to. So you know that I'm a registered dietitian, and I have been practicing as a dietitian for almost 10 years now. As far as my interest in gut health is concerned, this is something that dates back all the way to my undergraduate and graduate work where I really just found the topics of gut health and particularly the gut microbiome to be so incredibly fascinating. So I really had a significant academic interest in those topics and I still do today. It's just so fascinating what we've learned so far And I think there's so much, right, that's yet to be explored that we will learn in the future. It's a really fascinating area. Back in my education, many of the research projects that I took on, I focused around these areas because I just found them to be incredibly interesting. Fast forward a few years after that, several years into my career, I started working in an outpatient nutrition counseling setting. And it was there where I had the opportunity to interface with a number of people with really varying health concerns. But it was in that setting where I started to have the opportunity to interact in a one-on-one capacity with more and more individuals who had a digestive health concern. And it was really there where my passion for working with individuals with gut health concerns was born. It really was incredibly profound to me to see the significant impacts that nutrition can make for someone who has a GI concern. And not just from a health standpoint, right? Of course, we know that nutrition and diet makes a huge impact from a GI health and GI wellness standpoint. But quite frankly, it also makes a huge impact simply from a quality of life standpoint, right? We know if someone is dealing with GI symptoms day in and day out, that can take a huge toll. So seeing the impacts that nutrition could make in this population is really what drew me to be so passionate about working with this population from a clinical standpoint. And that really kind of brings me where I am today here at Oshi Health. So I had the opportunity to join the team at Oshi almost three years ago. And in my time at Oshi, I've had the wonderful opportunity to work with an entire care team of GI providers and countless individuals who have a wide variety of digestive health concerns. And I've had the pleasure of assisting them in curating nutrition plans that really fit best for their unique circumstances. So it's really been very rewarding for me. And I'm so excited to be here with you today talking a little bit more about that. Awesome. So did you ever have any of your own gut health issues or were you just one of those people that was super fascinated by the gut microbiome? That's a really good question. So to be honest with you, my interest in gut health came much earlier in the process than any personal digestive health issues I have ever experienced. But ironically, since I have started specializing in GI, I actually have encountered some GI struggles of my own. And I think that's just fuels the passion even more, to be honest, and makes me feel even more strongly about the care that we try to deliver at Oshi because I see the difference that it can make. I love when 
passion and experience and all the things kind of, you know, get meshed into one and you are the living walking example of what you practice and preach. Yeah, it really kind of brings another level to it. Okay, so you had mentioned Oshi and we're going to be talking a little bit more about Oshi right now before we get into some more specifics around the FODMAP diet and different things that you do in your day-to-day practice. But to the extent of Oshi, Oshi is a virtual healthcare. So where are you physically located? And do you only work with patients virtually? Do you have any kind of in-person practice? I'm just curious about that whole thing as well. Yeah, that's a great question. So personally, I am located in Rhode Island, but our care team is spread all over the country and Oshi delivers care that is fully virtual. We are currently practicing in 18 states across the country. Wow, that's a lot. So the first time I wrote about Oshi was in 2019. I can't remember exactly when they fully launched. I I don't think it was much sooner than that. And so the fact that they're already in 18 states seems like a lot. Yeah, we have expanded quite a bit since launching a few years ago. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about what Oshi exactly does and how you ended up working for them. Like, why did you walk away from a different type of practice in order to go work with the Oshi team? So I'll start with just explaining a little bit more about what exactly Oshi is and what it does. So as you mentioned, Sarah, Oshi is a fully virtual integrated digestive health clinic. And we work to provide really convenient and personalized care to individuals who are living with GI conditions. We diagnose and treat a wide variety of GI conditions as well as chronic symptoms. So basically how things work here at Oshi is our members, when they're working with Oshi, they have access to a full multidisciplinary care team. So that includes their GI provider, their GI specialized dietitian, we have GI behavioral health providers and more. And all of those clinicians are working together with the individual to help them get to the root cause of what's driving their symptoms and help them to find relief. So that's just a little bit more about what we do. As far as how I got involved with Oshi, as I said, I joined the team about three years ago. So this was early in 2020. So I'm sure everyone remembers what early 2020 was like, right? We had COVID and everything really kind of emerging. And to be totally honest with you, virtual care is something that I actually had a pretty significant interest in prior to the pandemic, but seeing how things unraveled a little bit around that time really just, I think, demonstrated how far this care can go. The other thing that was really appealing to me outside of the GI focus, so I mentioned to you that, you know, it was really in that outpatient setting where I was working with some individuals with digestive health concerns and other people who did not have GI concerns, but it was really there where I discovered digestive health was what I wanted to focus on more. So I was already looking at that. But then the other really big pull for me to come to Oshi was the fact that everything is so integrated. I really feel that our model of having everyone working on the same team in this wonderful kind of multidisciplinary fashion, it gives providers the opportunity to deliver the type of care that everyone wants to deliver because it's not so disjointed. Everyone is truly working in a collaborative way. And ultimately, that leads to better outcomes for patients, for what we refer to as our members. So that was the other piece of it that really had tremendous appeal for me. In other settings, working with those individuals with digestive health concerns oftentimes would receive a referral that would have you know very little information on it. And then it's a matter of trying to get records. Sometimes that can be tricky. 
And the care is just not as holistic and integrated as it can be. So I think that's something that this model brings to the table that is great for providers, but really even better for the individuals that we serve. Oh, I love this. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but when I think about OSHI, when you think about OSHI, are these kind of the top three things you think of? One is that it is strictly for GI patients. Two, you guys take an integrated approach. And three, it's 100% virtual. Are those all correct statements? Those are all correct statements, yes. Okay, and I love this. And I really just wanted to call this out for the community because you go beyond even the pandemic. And obviously during the pandemic, it really proved how important a service like this, the virtual capacity could be or would be in the future. But I take it even further with or without a pandemic, not everybody lives in a densely populated area where they have access to the best GI care. And so one thing that people are constantly reaching out to me regarding is, hey, can you recommend a GI nutritionist or doctor or whatever kind of care that they're needing at any given moment that lives within 10 miles of XYZ? And that is really, really, really hard to do. And I say that coming from someone who has once lived in California where I had access to the best care. And now I live in Southern Minnesota in a small town where we only have a Walmart as our grocery store. And so I know that there are so many people out there that are looking for a solution like this. And so I wanted to highlight those three main things. Yeah, Sarah, I think you make such a great point. You know, there is tremendous variation when it comes to access in the community. So by offering something that's fully virtual, we're able to bring this care to those wherever they need it. And especially when it comes to, you mentioned some of the other services that we offer, GI dietitians, GI behavioral health providers, those are, you know, really tricky to find in the community. So certainly I think the virtual component there is a huge value add. And I should mention too, you know, a lot of people are wondering if they're already established, say, with a GI doc in their community. A lot of people wonder if they can still work with OSHI. And the answer is yes. Really, what we can do is sort of enhance the care that you're already receiving in the community with providing the addition of some of those other modalities. And we do that in sync with your local community provider. So that can certainly be done as well. Good to know. Okay, so let's get into some of the nitty gritties of your daily practice at OSHI. Many of the gutsy community have SIBO or they suspect they do, or they have been told that they have IBS and to consider a low FODMAP diet. So I want to just start this part of the conversation off with explaining in your own words, what exactly is the FODMAP diet? Sure, I would be happy to talk more about this. So the low FODMAP diet, I always like to start with the name because it's kind of an obscure name, right? And FODMAP is actually an acronym. And what this stands for is fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. And essentially, these are different types of short and medium chain carbohydrates, which are found in plant foods. So these are some sugars, starches, and fibers that are poorly digested and absorbed in the GI tract, specifically within the small intestine. So what happens to someone who has a FODMAP sensitivity, basically, if we eat a meal that contains a lot of FODMAPs, those FODMAPs wind up in our stomach, 
from the stomach, they enter the small intestine. And it's in the small intestine where we see sort of the first mechanism of action, if you will, of these FODMAPs taking place. And that first mechanism of action is these FODMAPs have the ability to pull water with them into the gut. So this is happening in the small intestine. Small intestine is usually where we're seeing these carbohydrate foods being broken down and absorbed. But like I said, these FODMAPs are poorly digested, so they're remaining intact. They're making their way through the entire small intestine, and then they reach the large intestine. And the large intestine is where most of our gut bacteria are hanging out. So once these FODMAPs that are fully intact reach and enter the large intestine, they are rapidly fermented. There's the F in FODMAP. They're rapidly fermented or basically digested by our gut bacteria and used for food. I do always like to emphasize that this process of fermentation and feeding our gut bacteria is not inherently bad or unhealthy or dangerous. In fact, it's actually good for us to nurture and feed our gut bacteria. However, for sensitive individuals, this is what can drive a lot of these unpleasant GI symptoms because the byproduct of this fermentation process is gas. So now, as you can see here, we've got an accumulation of both fluid and gas in the intestinal tract. And this is what triggers many of these symptoms that individuals who have a FODMAP sensitivity deal with. Cue your bloating, your gas, your distension, your abdominal discomfort, and for some diarrhea. So the low FODMAP diet is basically a three-phased diet. We have the first phase, which is known as elimination. The second phase is called reintroduction. And then the third phase is personalization. In the first phase, that elimination phase, which lasts anywhere from about two to six weeks, what we're doing is we are pulling out as many high FODMAP foods from the diet as possible to try to remove that FODMAP load and see whether or not we experience symptom improvement. If we do have symptom improvement in that period of time, basically what we've done is confirmed a FODMAP sensitivity and that FODMAP consumption is driving some of these symptoms. If that's the case, we transition into the second phase of the diet. That is, as I said, the reintroduction phase. And during this reintroduction phase, we're keeping the background diet low in FODMAPs and we're very intentionally introducing only one type of FODMAP back into the diet at a time. And the idea here is we're trying to understand that individual person's unique FODMAP sensitivities. So generally speaking, everyone who responds to a low FODMAP diet is going to have their own unique set of FODMAPs that they are, you know, maybe really sensitive to, FODMAPs that they're maybe moderately sensitive to, and then there could be types of FODMAPs that don't bother them at all. So that's the type of information we're looking to learn in that second phase. Once we complete the reintroduction phase, we work into that third and final phase of the diet, which is known as personalization. And basically, in the personalization phase, we're taking everything that we learned in that second phase and we're applying it to the diet to offer that person a really individualized, personalized diet that has reintroduced the well-tolerated FODMAPs in order to give them a diet that is as liberal as possible while still offering them symptom control. So that's kind of an overview of how the low FODMAP diet works. This is a really wonderful clinically validated tool to help get symptoms under control. It has been studied most thoroughly in the IBS population, and research has demonstrated that 
about 50 to 70% of individuals who have IBS will have some sort of symptom improvement on the low FODMAP diet. But with all of that said, it is important to note that this is a pretty nuanced diet that for anyone who has taken a look at what it entails, it's really not intuitive. So this is where I think partnering with a GI specialized dietitian can make a world of a difference in making this process a little bit easier to actually implement in the real world. Can I just say, I think that this last question that I posed to you, you have answered it probably the best that I've ever heard it described and explained. I'm trying to figure out why that is because I have had Dr. Nerala Jacoby on my show as well. But you, I think the way that you broke everything down was really super easy to understand. And I am just really appreciative of how you did that and how you just shared that with us. So thank you. And I also, I really echo everything that you said and the ways that you broke it down. And I love that you take the approach of the three-phase FODMAP instead of just arbitrarily saying, yes, let's do a low FODMAP diet. Let's see how long we can do it for, you know, because like you said, there is nothing wrong with the bacteria in the large intestine. There's nothing wrong with high FODMAP foods. They're some of the best foods that we can eat. They're prebiotics, right? But there's a method and there's a way to go about doing it so that you heal, you feel better, and then you can resume a normal life. And I think you just did a great job at that. Having said that, since you obviously work with all GI patients, do you often tend to prescribe a FODMAP diet? And why or why not? So here at OSHI, we really work to take a very comprehensive approach to symptom management. And that includes looking at the relationship between someone's dietary intake and how they're feeling. So yes, the answer is yes, we do prescribe this. This absolutely can include supporting our members through the low FODMAP diet in situations where it's clinically indicated. So as I mentioned, the majority of the research on the low FODMAP diet has been done in the setting of IBS, and we see really, really great results there. So we certainly use this often in the setting of IBS, but there are other clinical applications that could be appropriate for a diet like this as well. So a few examples of that could include individuals who have functional dyspepsia, Also, sometimes we see individuals who have IBD or inflammatory bowel disease that we know the IBD is in remission, but the person is still reporting symptoms. So in those situations, we suspect that there could be an IBS overlap. In those situations, the low FODMAP diet might be considered as well. It can also be used in the setting of SIBO for symptom management. And then there's also newer research that has come out demonstrating that for individuals with IBS and GERD, the low FODMAP diet could be really effective for targeting those symptoms as well. So those are probably the clinical situations in which we would give the most consideration to a diet such as the low FODMAP diet. Oh, that's interesting. I actually recorded an entire show. I'll link to it in the show notes all about functional dyspepsia with a doctor. It was very interesting. And so I'm curious now to go back and listen to that episode and to kind of see some of the overlaps and how the low FODMAP diet might be conducive for that kind of a diagnosis. So you said that a lot of times, much better idea to work with someone like yourself on the three-phase FODMAP diet or just a FODMAP diet in general, because it is not intuitive. And I know this because I have an ebook called Reasonable SIBO. And it's the idea that you can literally go from 
a fourth cup of blueberries is not, you know, high FODMAP, and then a third cup is. And there's these little nuances that you can get really caught up in. And people also will say, I just have to go no FODMAP. Well, that's not really the case. You don't have to say, nope, I can't have any blueberries. Personally, I'd rather have a fourth cup than none, right? But to your point, there are so many little intricacies when it comes to the FODMAP diet. So I want to help people now a little bit more with some ideas around food and snacks and stuff like that, that you tend to help your patients with because it's a common like, oh my gosh, what am I going to eat? I might starve, although you won't. But can you just share maybe three to four simple low FODMAP snacks? I love where you're going with this because to your point, I think having this type of support, if you're taking on a low FODMAP diet is really critical, right? You need meal ideas. You need snack ideas. You need suggestions for how to flavor your foods. A lot of people who start looking into the low FODMAP diet, one of the first things people learn is that, you know, onion and garlic are both high in FODMAPs. And it's like, well, how do I season my food? So, you know, having tools like this, I think is incredibly critical to being successful with implementing this diet. And that's what working with a professional will really give you. I'll also preface this by saying that when it comes to snacking, I do kind of have a framework I like to recommend. And this really can work for someone who's on the low FODMAP diet or not. It sort of just applies to snacking as a whole. And that is to try to pair a food that contains protein and or fat with a fiber containing food. And this could be like a grain, a fruit or a vegetable. That combination is just a really nice balance of nutrients. And it also will be really beneficial from a satiety standpoint, meaning that the snack is actually going to keep you full, right? I think we've all been there where maybe we just eat a couple crackers or a piece of fruit and 30 minutes later, we're looking for another snack. So with that in mind, with that framework in mind, I can share a couple snack options that are low in FODMAPs. I thought I would maybe give a couple sweet options and then a few savory options just to kind of mix it up a little bit. So as far as the sweet options go... One option that you could consider is taking a rice cake as a base and then adding some nut butter on there, maybe about a tablespoon of almond butter. That's your source of some healthy fat and a little bit of protein. And then slicing up half of a banana and having that on top. That's another one of those sort of nuanced foods where the portion size really matters. Another sweet snack option could be making your own yogurt parfait. Lactose is a FODMAP, so we would be choosing a lactose-free yogurt. Personally, I love to go with a lactose-free Greek yogurt because it's a little bit higher in protein, will keep you full longer. And then you can top that with about a third of a cup of raspberries. Some chia seeds will bring you some extra fiber, protein, and even some omega-3s to the table. And you can drizzle that with some maple syrup for a little bit of sweetness if you'd like. Changing gears a little bit into considering some savory options, these are really straightforward and simple, require almost no preparation. So the first one could be some gluten-free pretzels and a naturally lactose-free cheese. Cheddar and Swiss cheese are both naturally lactose-free, so those could be great, quick, and easy options. And then the second option could be something as simple as two clementines and one or two hard-boiled eggs on the side. Again, pairing that plant-based fiber-rich food with a protein source to really keep you full longer. I love those. Those are so simple. And it's funny because the first one that you mentioned was rice cakes. And I once wrote this thing all about rice cakes and 15 different ways to basically make your rice cake a vehicle. 
and topping it with things that you had mentioned. And so many people, they always question, but the rice cake isn't healthy. It's like the rice cake is a vehicle. It's not good. It's not bad. It's low FODMAP and it's, you can put whatever you want on it to boost the nutritional content of it. But it's just so funny how people can get hung up on really little details when it's like, okay, well, the goal here is low FODMAP, something that's sweet. And you added the healthy fats and a little bit of bananas. So go for it. Yeah, precisely. It's such a great vehicle. And, you know, it's convenient. It's non-perishable. I think it can be a really, really nice option for someone going through something like this. Love it. Okay. Do you have a favorite low FODMAP recipe or recipes that you might want to share? Sure, Sarah. I can do maybe one option that could be suitable for breakfast. And then we can talk through one that might be appropriate for lunch or dinner. And so keep in mind that when we're talking FODMAPs, these are short and medium chain carbohydrates, they're only going to be found in plant foods. So your animal-based proteins are always going to be completely FODMAP-free. A breakfast option that you can consider, eggs are a great completely FODMAP-free, high-quality protein source. And you could consider doing like a Mediterranean-inspired omelet, starting with your eggs, of course, as a base, two or three cherry tomatoes that you can quarter and add right in there, Sliced olives are another great addition that really bring a lot of flavor to the table. And then feta cheese, that's another low FODMAP cheese that can be added here. Could do a little bit of a garnish with some parsley and then have a slice of a sourdough toast or a gluten-free toast on the side to balance things out with a whole grain carbohydrate. And then for a a suitable meal that could work nicely either for lunch or dinner, personally, I love salmon. And again, this is another protein source that is completely FODMAP free. So you can really season the salmon to your liking. I usually keep it pretty simple, just some salt, pepper, olive oil, bake it in the oven, and then serve it on the side. Again, we want to consider not just that it's low FODMAP, but we want to consider that it's a nicely balanced meal. So I would recommend pairing something like this with, again, a whole grain carbohydrate source or starchy vegetable and then a non-starchy vegetable. So quinoa or brown rice could work really nicely as that carbohydrate source. And then something like this, maybe some bok choy and sauteed oyster mushrooms might go really nicely as well. Oh, that sounds delicious. Can you tell I'm hungry? I'm like, oh, these are great. (laughs) I don't even eat low FODMAP anymore. I don't need to. But I'm like, these are just really delicious meals. I love taking salmon when I bake it or broil it and doing exactly what you do, but then also squeezing some lemon on it or even sometimes some orange. It's really good. Fantastic. Yeah, that can definitely be added here and it would still be low FODMAP. Thank you for those awesome ideas. I know that the food thing is always so hard for people when you've just been, I used to have SIBO, but like really, really severely to the point where I had to do B12 injections to my stomach when I was first diagnosed. And so I remember being on the other side of this coin and just feeling so miserable. But yet here's the thing with SIBO is that you also are not absorbing anything. And so I was constantly hungry. I felt like I could eat a 10 course meal and five minutes later I was starving. And so you're always like, okay, what can I eat? That's not going to make me miserable. It's like a catch 22, right? So I really appreciate when people are able to give some other thoughts and ideas to inspire people. Absolutely. Like I said, I think it just makes implementing something like this where if you just were handed, you know, a do not eat list, that is incredibly daunting, right? So I think it's really, really critical that people who are embarking upon an intervention like this are given the tools 
to make it feasible for them. Okay, so clearly you are very well versed. You are a huge asset to Oshi. And so I'm curious about what your days look like. If you want to share just maybe what a typical day for you at Oshi looks like, you know, working with clients or just kind of what you do in a day. So as you can probably imagine, a pretty good portion of my day is spent working directly with our members in virtual one-on-one sessions. In addition to that, I also do spend time over the course of the day collaborating with other clinicians on our team to really make sure that our care plans are taking that integrated holistic approach. So there's a lot of back and forth that happens among care team members here at Oshi. And, you know, in terms of how frequently we see individuals and things like that, I think that's another thing that as a provider is so great, but it makes even more of a difference for our members. So we actually very recently published our clinical trial results and they demonstrated that this model and the fully virtual piece of it really significantly improves both outcomes and patient satisfaction. And I think a big reason for that is the frequency in which we're able to connect with our members. So when I'm providing nutrition care to an individual, I'm connecting with them very frequently, usually speaking with them about every two weeks. And that really gives us an opportunity to iterate on care plans almost immediately, really touch in, see how someone's progressing, make adjustments as needed, and that allows us to get results faster. So these sessions that I'm having are frequently pretty high touch. We're meeting very, very often and iterating on those care plans as needed. So that's where the bulk of my day is really spent. But I do have some work outside of working directly with our members. And a lot of that is dedicated to spending time developing resources and tools that we're then able to provide these individuals who are working with us to support them in execution of their care plans. So, you know, circling back to low FODMAP, we of course spend a lot of time educating during the sessions themselves, but then we're sending lots of resources and tools to give our individual members the opportunity to really implement on their care plan between visits and have all the resources they need to feel like they can actually execute on the diets. Oh, I love that. I didn't know you guys did that. I do have a question. I'm sure you know the answer since you take patients every day. So A lot of people will be listening to this and thinking, okay, is this another one of those services that's just completely out of pocket? Or how does it work from a financial standpoint? Does OSHI work with any insurance companies? Can you talk a little bit about that at all? So as I mentioned, in terms of geography, we're currently in 18 states. And what OSHI does is OSHI partners with different health plans and employers to bring this type of care in a really affordable way to individuals who need it. So we do accept a lot of major health plans. We're actually really excited to share that we are newly in network with United Healthcare. And yes, if anyone here is listening and you're interested in learning more, seeing if you're eligible, you can visit us at oshihealth.com slash sign up to get more information. Cool. United Healthcare as in in Minnesota, correct? Minnesota and nationwide, really. Oh, awesome. I love that. Okay. So that is a huge, huge plus for people because, you know, when you want an integrative type approach to your care, so often it's only out of pocket. Yeah. That's always been so sad for me because then it's not an equal care for people across the board. It's too hard to have access to the care that we really need. This just makes it one step closer for even more people being able to get this type of care. So 
Thank you for sharing that. Of course, of course. Okay, is there anything about gut healing diets that you wish more people knew? Yeah, a couple different things come to mind for this one. The first one I'm going to really draw from my own clinical experience working with individuals who have digestive health concerns and seeing what they've been through. And that is that the journey to finding the right diet for you doesn't have to be so difficult. If you are able to find a GI specialized dietitian or provider who can partner with you, this really can be made so much easier. They will help you discover what works best and probably equally importantly, what won't work best, right? Or what maybe isn't necessary. I can't tell you how many individuals I've worked with who have tried so many different diets and so many different protocols prior to reaching me that it's really been a very difficult journey for them. So I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. Get yourself help and a partner in this if you can. The second thing that comes to mind for me, and you know, this is coming from a dietitian who obviously I feel very strongly about nutrition and the impact of nutrition, but I always like to encourage people to keep in mind that diet is one extremely important piece of the puzzle, but it's oftentimes not the entire picture. I think it's important too that individuals who have a digestive health concern don't limit themselves in terms of the tools that they can use to feel better. So be open to considering other complementary forms of treatment. And this is going to look different for everyone, depending on what their concern is. This might be a medication. It could be behavioral health intervention really aimed at targeting the gut-brain interaction and gut-brain dysfunction that we know drives so many symptoms. It could be some supplements. And this could all happen in addition to diet. So yeah, those are the two things that really come to mind, I think, first when you ask that question. Ooh, those are good. I wrote them both down. I'll make sure to share them in the show notes. So you had mentioned about the insurance component with Oshi, which I absolutely love. And I knew a little bit of that, but I didn't know to the extent that you shared. I've obviously learned through you so much more about Oshi. But what do you think is one thing that you love about Oshi personally, but that most people don't know? I think I've shared a few things I love already, really the integrated approach being one of them. But I think what's important for people to know and they may not realize is our goal is truly to get to the root cause of your symptoms. And then we create a custom treatment plan based on what we think is going on. I think a really nice element of what we do at Oshi, because we have this whole multidisciplinary care team approach, and we're able to use so many different tools that might not be accessible in more traditional settings, we are frequently able to use less invasive approaches first, like diet therapy or gut-brain interaction therapies. And frequently, those work so well that there are not other things we have to escalate to. So we really have the opportunity to use those approaches kind of as first-line interventions rather than going to things like really costly prescription medications and procedures and things of that nature. So I think it's something pretty unique that we do here at Oshi that is in contrast to what others may be a little bit more accustomed to. I love that you guys focus a lot on the gut-brain interaction as well. That's obviously become such a hot topic in this community and one that I'm also very passionate about that, the gut-brain connection and also the gut-immune connection so much to that. Do you in particular do anything like the GI map or is that not any part of what you do? GI map testing is not something that we offer. However, there are a lot of diagnostics and labs that we will order if needed. 
I'm actually glad you asked that question because that's, I think, another thing that comes to mind for people when they think about us being fully virtual. You know, occasionally someone might need a procedure or go in for blood work or something like that. And if that's the case, we do partner with local community providers to make sure that our members are able to get all the services that they need. So certainly labs, procedures, things like that, when they're warranted, absolutely will happen. Okay, Caitlin, tell us how we can find you and also how we can connect with OSHI in general or any other things that you might want to share about how I can get started today. We are accepting a lot of major health plans and we're also working with employers. So if this is something you're interested in learning more about, I mentioned it a few moments ago, but I'll mention that that link again that you can follow. It's oshihealth.com slash sign up. And then I also want to mention that we're really active on social. So if anyone is interested in connecting with me or with Oshi Health, we are really active both on Facebook and Instagram. And our, our name there is Oshi Health on both of those platforms. Awesome. So if, for instance, someone went to oshihealth.com sign up, is there a place that they could request working with you? Does it not work like that? Like if someone was like, oh, I loved what she had to say. I'm really struggling with XYZ. I think she would help me. Could someone request you or not? Great question. So basically the way we work is everyone who comes in here at Oshi, their first visit will always be with a GI provider so that they can have a really thorough assessment done and we can have a good handle on the full picture. And after that, frequently that's when they will be referred to a registered dietitian. So certainly someone could request me or we have a really wonderful team of GI RDs too who are available and working with new members every day. Awesome. And I believe, I'm not sure, so don't quote me on this when you're listening right now. I think there'll be a place where you could mention that you heard Caitlin on my show, A Gutsy Girls, and then you'd be able to get connected that way as well. Okay. At the end of my interviews, Caitlin, I always ask my guests for their three convictions around gut health and gut healing. For reference, mine are heal your gut, heal your life, Everything is beautiful in its time, and no one will ever advocate for your health in the ways you can show up and glow up for you. So I would love to hear what your convictions around gut health and gut healing are. Sure thing. I'd love to share them. And I love yours as well. I just want to mention that. So my first conviction I'd like to share is teamwork makes a dream work. Optimal GI care is integrated GI care that offers you all of the tools and modalities needed to treat you as a whole individual person. My second conviction is pretty heavily focused around diet, but I thought that was pretty fitting for me as a dietitian. And that is when it comes to dietary restriction, less is more. What I mean by that is research has demonstrated that a diet that includes variety, especially a variety of plant foods, is best for the gut and for the gut microbiome. But when you're dealing with GI symptoms, it is so incredibly easy to kind of find yourself going down this rabbit hole of restriction after restriction that ultimately leads to a diet that is quite the opposite of one that includes a lot of plant variety. So keep that in mind. And, you know, if you can find a professional to help you with this, go ahead and take advantage of that. And my last conviction is the help you've been searching for is out there and getting control is within reach. Ooh, that one's good too. I really love your number two one. When it comes to dietary restriction, less is more. My previous episode that I did with a guest, she's a doctor, and she said one of her goals every day or every week is to get in 50 different types of plant-based foods. And I absolutely love that. I am very diet agnostic, so I don't believe in any one diet, but 
I do believe that the more diversity that we can have, the better in the long term we can be. Obviously not when we're symptomatic, but in the long run. So I love that so much. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Caitlin. And to you out there, thank you for joining us. I will see you again next time. 